It is an absolute delight to walk into the pulpit and see just about every seat filled. I just wish I could see this every Sunday morning when I walk up here, but we can. Uh, we want you to come back. We want you to feel welcome here. I do know some are visiting with family for the uh, funeral for Brother Cook, but I want you to know everyone, you're welcome to come and to worship with us and study together with us. The period of the time for the sermon is a time where we take a part of God's Word, we open it, and we try to understand the message that is found there. We're studying from the book of Colossians in our sermons on Sunday mornings, and if you will keep your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 2, we're going to study verses 20 through 23. By way of introduction to you, to give you a little bit of idea of where we've been and where we're going, the theme of the book of Colossians is found in chapter 1 and verse 27, where he says that the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So many times we think about our being in Christ. And the Bible does teach that we are baptized into Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. The Bible also emphasizes, though, that Christ must be in us. He must be in the decisions we make, the lives we live, the way we conduct ourselves. In chapter 1, verse 27, that's our hope of glory. When we get to chapter 2, there are some very interesting ways that Paul is trying to prepare the church for what is a very real challenge in this life. He says, beware lest one deceive you with persuasive words. Verse 4, verse 8, and verse 18. In fact, in verses 8 and 18, he will say, beware lest someone cheat you, cause you to lose your salvation. Well, as we draw near to the end of this chapter, verses 20 through 23, he's going to talk about measuring our spirituality. And so I want to ask you a question as we begin our lesson this morning. Are you more spiritual today than you were this time last year? If you were to ask yourself, or even in fact someone were to look at you and observe your life, are you more spiritual today than you were this time last year? Well, there's an important question that goes along with that. How would you measure that? How would you know whether a person is more spiritual today than last year? Well, there's some ways that a person might begin to explore. You might begin to say, well, what about my feelings? Am I more enthusiastic about the church and about our Lord and about going to heaven than I was this time last year? Well, there's some things that you could observe in a person's life that would tell about their enthusiasm. For instance, next Sunday, we're going to begin in gospel meeting. Perhaps last year you would say, well, I hope I can make it to the various nights of the meeting. But this year your enthusiasm it says, I want to be a good Christian. I want to be a faithful Christian. I want to be a loyal Christian. And so my attitude, my enthusiasm says, I'm going to be there every service. 
What about the facts? What do you know this year that you didn't know last year? Are you spending a little more time reading your Bible? Are you spending a little more time actually studying what the text says? And do you know more this year than you did last year? What about your fidelity or loyalty? Are you more loyal to the Lord now than you were this time last year? When you start thinking about loyalty, you think about someone who puts you on the spot. Are you willing to, when someone says something, are you a member of the church to say, yes, I'm proud to say that I'm a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. What about your faith, your trust in God, your willingness to allow him to direct every facet of your life? You see, as you begin to explore that, you start saying, hey, I can see how some of those things would be a measure. But do you know there's a real challenge in the book of Colossians? And it's a challenge in every one of our lives as well. And that is to have some thoughts standards of measurement of whether or not we are spiritual. In fact, I'd suggest to you there's at least three that's found in the latter part of this chapter. We're going to look at these three. They're going to be found in verse 20, the rudiments of the world, verses 21 and 22, the regulations of men, and then verse 23, the religion of the will. So let's explore those three verses. Uh, ideas in these four verses. Verse 20 to begin with, the rudiments of the world. He says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Therefore, if you died with Christ... When did you die with Christ? Oh, that's so clear. In fact, if you only go back to verse 14 in this context, he said buried with him in baptism. When you are buried in baptism is when you bury that old man who died. In fact, as we continue to go on into chapter 3, we're going to learn about that burying of that old man and what that involves. But I want you to understand here that when you become a Christian, it changes things. Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. Oh, now I start seeing some parallels. Christ lives in me. The hope of glory, Colossians 1 verse 27 Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world. That brings up an idea. What does he mean by the basic principles? If you're reading the original King James or the American Standard Translation, you will notice that the word there is translated rudiments or basic principles here in the New King James. There's several places in the Bible where this original word is used. And for just a moment, if you will, humor me as I try to get you to appreciate what he's talking about. 
In Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 and verse 9, he'll use the word elements there, and I think it's appreciating what he is saying here. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Verse 9, but now after you have known God, or rather been known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? In the book of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, he will use the words first principles. He says, "For by, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. It's again translated elements in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 12. He says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And then he says the same thing again in the latter part of verse 12. The elements are the very basic building blocks, if you will. The very bottom line. Some of you may remember in high school having to memorize the periodic table. I didn't like having to do that. That was tough. But those are the basic building blocks. They're the basic elements, if you will. But what he's talking about here is the elements of the world. The rudiments of the world. The basics of the world. In fact, if you'll go back with me to verse 8, I think he makes a very important point there. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to, and again he uses this word, the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Okay, here's the choice now. You're wanting to measure your spirituality. Do I measure it by the basic principles of the world, the rudiments of the world, or do I measure it by Christ? Now, I'm supposed to have died to those basic principles of the world. Galatians 6.14, Paul said, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Romans 6, 6 says, knowing that our old man was crucified with him. Oh, that should have been a, a foregone conclusion. Well, then what does it mean to die to the rudiments of the world? It means that we no longer love the things that the world loves. If I could take one passage and use as the basic principles, the rudiments of the world, I would use 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He said, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh. The things that I desire, that I want to do. The lust of the eyes, the things that I see that I want. The pride of life, the things that 
give me happiness, that give me fulfillment. Oh, the world offers so much. There was a song that was sung by Frank Sinatra many years ago. I did it my way. I wanted to do the things that I wanted to do. Well, that's the rudiments of the world. You see something, you want to do it, you do it. And much of our world's living by that set of circumstances today. A man sees a woman and he wants to be in a relationship with her. If he wants it, he sees it, he thinks it'll make him happy, that's what I'll do. The rudiments, the basic principles of the world. He said, but this is not of the Father, but of the world. The world is passing away and it's lust. But he who does the will of God abides forever. It means that a person will not be controlled by the fleshly, and let me emphasize this word, animalistic desires. In Galatians 5, verse 24, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Ephesians 2, 3, he says, Among whom we also once conduct ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You start measuring your spirituality. Do I measure it by Christ? Or do I measure it by the very rudiments of the world? Now let's move forward. Let's look at verses 21 and 22. Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. Now the last part of verse 20 ended with the phrase, why do you subject yourself to regulations? Now when I start talking about the rudiments of the world, those are the things which I desire. Things which appeal to my lust and to my flesh. But when you move to verses 21 and 22, you're talking about now the doctrines, the commandments, the traditions of men. Someone else is trying to define for you a level of spirituality. Notice verse 23, according to the doctrines or the commandments and the doctrines of men. Is it serious when we follow the commandments and the doctrines of men, I'd suggest to you it really is. Listen to Titus chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. He said, what you're saying is, you can follow these Jewish fables, these ideas of other men, 
And he says, what I want you to do is rebuke these people sharply. I want you to get their attention. You're either going to follow the commandments of men or you're going to follow Christ. Now, more specifically here, he's relating some things that likely have some connection to dietary restrictions. Do not taste. Don't eat these things. Let me just survey some passages that I think can be helpful in understanding this. When you go to Acts chapter 10, verses 10 through 16, Peter is receiving a vision from the Lord. He doesn't know it, but it's about going to the household of Cornelius. And it says, the voice came to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Peter's got this vision. There's all kinds of animals on it. Rise, Peter, kill, eat. No, 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 Lord, I can't do them. I can't touch them. I can't taste them. Let me suggest to you that not only were there people who had dietary restrictions, but they also had some other kind of rules and regulations, and it related to the washing of hands. But don't think of what your mother is going to tell you probably in about an hour and a half to two hours. All right, it's time for lunch. Everybody go wash your hands. No, no, no. These are people who are washing their hands after they have gone and been in association with a Gentile or a sinner. You know, we think about getting germs from somebody who's sick. They thought you got some sort of contamination just by being near a sinner. In Mark chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Now listen carefully what it related to. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things that you do. Luke eleven thirty eight. And when the Pharisees saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. It wasn't just washing to keep be clean, but washing in a ceremonial kind of sense. This kind of action, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle, related to the way they treated other people too. When Paul writes the Galatians in chapter 2, there's a situation where there's some Jewish people coming from Jerusalem to Antioch. In the church at Antioch, you had a good situation where you had Jew and Gentile both in one congregation. They were all getting along well together. They were all worshiping God together. And some come from Jerusalem And now you can't eat with Gentiles. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I would study him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before certain came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. 
and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Oh, you start having rules and regulations about spirituality. And does it involve, well, if I don't eat this and I do eat that and I associate with this person and I don't associate with that one, it's going to make me more spiritual. Who do we let dictate what we will do? And who do we let judge our spirituality? Is it the rudiments of the world, the the whatever I want to do that makes me happy? Is it pleasing other people? The regulations, the commandments, the doctrines, the traditions of men. Now let's move to the third. It's found in verse 23. Let's read now verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Now, let's talk about that word religion for just a minute. The New King James says self-imposed religion That word is found in three different contexts. And again, I think the best interpreter of the Bible is another place in Scripture. And it's found primarily here in Acts 26 and verse 5. Paul's before King Agrippa and before Festus. And he said to them, They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion... I lived a Pharisee. Paul said, I was a Pharisee. So many times, Paul would say, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I had a religion that was based upon worshiping God, but it was designed to please the way I wanted to approach God. In James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, this one, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James talks about people who have a religion that does not affect their daily lives. They don't even try to bridle their tongue. They'll say anything they want to say. He said that that's what your religion is based upon. It's useless. It's worthless. He's going to go on in chapter 2 and talk about a, a religion that doesn't do anything is worthless. James 2, 14 through 26. Now, in this context, chapter 2, verse 18, the word that is translated worship in this passage, let no one cheat you in your, of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, or we could translate religion of angels. 
intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. Now the things that here the New King James calls a self-imposed religion, the original King James translates as will worship. Literally, if you just translate the words themselves, it's the religion that a person desires. Now we're talking about a religion that is designed around what I want to offer God. The kind of worship, whether it is, I want my religion to be able to, I can say whatever I want to say. Or I want my religion to be based upon a certain group of things like the Pharisees were. Or I want my religion to be simply that of worshiping angels. Here's the problem. That kind of religion won't work because it focuses on the self and not about God. And the truth is, this morning, as you and I have assembled together here, we're not here to worship one another. We're not here to worship angels. We're not here to please ourselves. We're here to please God. We sing songs of praises to Him. We pray our prayers to Him. We partake of the Lord's Supper to remember the death of our Lord. We give to Him. It's all about the Lord, not about us. Well, you can look back through history and you can see people who try to change the focus away from God to themselves. Let me give you what I think is a really powerful illustration. The children of Israel were sent into Babylonian captivity because of their sinfulness. God had them deported out of their own land to the land of Babylon by the river Kibar. And while they were there in Babylon, they cried, they moaned, and they fasted. They they didn't eat because of their sadness. And when God sends the prophet Zechariah to them, he's asking them about their sincerity. He's asking them about their spirituality, if you will. And he said in Zechariah chapter 7, verses 4 through 6, The word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priest, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh months, During those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me. When you eat and when you drink, did you or do you not eat and drink for yourselves? God said when you went through that, when you were sad and when you were fasting, did you fast for me or did you fast for yourself? When you eat, did you eat for you or did you eat for for me? We might ask the question, as we have come here to sing and we've come here to pray, are we doing it for us or are we doing it for God? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, when Paul 
charges Timothy to preach the Word of God. He said, Timothy, I will warn you, not everybody's going to appreciate that. He said, but the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers. And they will be turned away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Oh, you're going to find that there will be churches, there will be congregations that are going to say, we don't want what God said. Tell it to us the way we want to hear it. A self-made religion with self-made regulations will not save anyone. It has to be the Lord's directions. It has to be the Lord's measurement. Now what this means is this is a serious indictment of denominationalism. You didn't know a denomination exists because this man said, I want it my way. And another man said that I want it my way. And they built their own religion, not the Lord's. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Someone comes along and says, but I want it to be mine. I want it to be my way. Psalms 127 verse 1, Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Or the parallel in Matthew 15 verse 13, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Well, you see, when you get to the very bottom line, when you get to the very end, What is going to be the measure? Well, let's go back to those questions I asked in the beginning. How does your religion measure up? When you start thinking about that, are you more spiritual than you were this time last year? How do you measure these things? So many people look at themselves and they say, it feels good to do what I do. And I make my choices on the basis of my desires. That's the rudiments of the world. Someone says, I know it can't be about me, so I listen to the regulations of other people. I don't do this and I don't do that. And so I must be spiritual. That's the regulations of men. Or there are some who say, I have my own religion. And I have decided this is the way I will worship God. And these are the things and I measure myself by myself. You see, there's a lot of false ways. And that's what Paul was warning the Colossians of. Let no one cheat you. Your salvation is too important. To allow someone else to cheat you out of it. God is the only arbiter of man's faith. And he has decided that his word will be our judge. In Romans 4 verse 14. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. 2 Corinthians 10 18. For not he who commends himself is approved. But whom the Lord commends. 
1 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul said, For I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. We're going to sing the song, Trust and Obey. If you're not a Christian this morning and you want to be obedient to the gospel, everything is prepared for you. Behind me is a baptistry full of warm water. We have garments available. There's everything prepared for you. It's just a simple call upon you to say, will you be obedient to Jesus Christ? If you believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you're willing to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, dying to the world and being made alive together, then why not come and be baptized for the remission of your sins? If you are a child of God and you look at your life and you say, I know I've been straying in the ways of the world. I know I have been letting things that are wrong judge me. My spirituality is flat. I know I'm not doing what the Lord wants to do. Why not be restored? Why not come while together we stand and sing?